Hello and welcome back to What China Wants with me, Sam Olson and Stuart Patton. Sadly, Stuart can't make today, which is a real pity because we've got a fantastic show coming up talking to an American professor by the name of Joseph Turigian on the Chinese National Party Congress, which has just finished. So Joseph, welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, you are you're at the American University in D.C., uh, right, I think? That's correct, at the School of International Service. And you study the politics of authoritarian regimes with a specific focus on elite power struggles, civil military relations, and grand strategy. And the reason we really wanted to sort of uh, get you on today is because you wrote a book recently called Prestige, Manipulation and Coercion, Elite Power Struggles in the Soviet Union and China after Stalin and Mao. And if there's one thing that the Party Congress is, is a struggle between the elites. Um, and in fact, I think you're also about to publish a book on Xi Jinping's father, Xi Zhongshun, right? I do have a contract with Stanford University Press. That's a biography of Xi Jinping's father. Uh, I won't be coming out super soon, but thanks for flagging it. No worries. But anyway, uh, let's get on to the Congress. So first of all, was the Congress, which is just finished, uh, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, was the Congress everything you were expecting or was it full of any interesting surprises? There wasn't anything especially surprising in the political report. Xi Jinping, when he talks about what he's doing, has tended to emphasize continuity with the past. And when he makes changes, they're gradual. And ultimately, the Xi Jinping that we have is the Xi Jinping that we've already had for several years. So the fact that there weren't any really sudden, shocking pronouncements in the political report and continued to name these multiple goals that he pursues at the same time and sort of maneuvers among flexibly as as situations change, I didn't see anything there that I uh, had never seen before. The bigger question, of course, was what the new leadership lineup was going to be. And it was hard for me to be surprised because I didn't have a clear idea in my mind of whom he was going to pick. And the reasons for that were, first of all, this is a process that has a lot of contingency. It's a process that has a lot to do with personalities and chemistry, uh, who gets along with each other, who can properly intuit what the top leader is thinking. But also it wasn't clear what kind of signals Xi Jinping would have wanted to show by the new leadership that he picked, whether he wanted to emphasize continuity or to show that he only picked people that were close to him uh, or that he wanted to emphasize a particular set of skills. All of these things uh, weren't exactly clear before the Congress, uh, and they're not exactly crystal clear now, although uh, people are trying to figure out what exactly these changes mean. So I suppose one of the questions that people are asking is, is Xi Jinping now ruler for life or is it really just until the next party congress in 2027 that he's definitely going to be there well xi jinping is relatively young so he doesn't need to start thinking about the succession immediately at the same time as someone that at least i believe really is dedicated to the party he understands just how dangerous succession politics can be and destabilizing if the party is brought through a struggle that can spill out and cause uh, real instability for the uh, People's Republic of China. So presumably he is at least starting to think about a way of handing off power at some point in a way that uh, allows the party to persist. But this for him, looking back at the history of succession politics, is really hard to get right. And it's hard to get right for lots of reasons. 
Uh, one is, as I mentioned before, a lot of this has to do with personality, whether or not someone can win his trust, but it also challenges his view of the party as only functioning when you have a core with one single decision maker. So as soon as you nominate someone as a potential successor, start giving them lots of power, it has the possibility that people will start to wonder whether or not there are two headquarters, whether there are two centers of power within the party. And everything we know about Xi Jinping suggests that he would think that state of affairs would be a disaster. So in other words, he's not going to truck any competition or through any nominated successor anytime soon. But do you think that, uh, and the reason I'm asking about this is because of the elephant in the room, which is the countdown to potential action in Taiwan. There are a lot of people saying, in fact, one of our guests recently, a Chinese professor, was saying that he really has to do something big to justify his extension of rule uh, before the 2027 Congress. Otherwise, people might uh, put pressure on him to say, well, why have we allowed you this continuation of rule when others haven't been? Do you think that the, the fact that he has been made president for, for life in inverted commas is actually adding more pressure to him and, and that the, this Congress is, is more about the here and now, but it actually is setting the scene very much for a man that needs to prove himself over the next five years? I've also heard this idea that Xi Jinping is actually now more vulnerable because everything that goes wrong will be attributed to him alone because he's now surrounded with yes-men. But I think that the more likely story is that Chinese politics have never been a popularity contest. And when you're surrounded by yes-men, it's probably even less of a popularity contest. And that there isn't a real trigger within the Chinese Communist Party that would allow people who disagree with Xi Jinping or think that he's demonstrated incompetence to do anything about it. Certainly, it's more useful to be popular than not. But I would question this idea that Chinese politics has ever been about policy or policy differences. And we don't even know whether or not people uh, disagree with Xi Jinping all that much. But also, I want to say on the Taiwan issue, when we look at the latest political report, we don't see any new language about a sense of urgency. And broadly speaking, when it comes to the Taiwan issue, I think Xi Jinping has two cross-cutting mechanisms going on at the same time. One is that it's a really, really emotional topic for him, and that I'm sure there's nothing that he would like better to add to his legacy than reunification. At the same time, I think that the last thing he wants to do is to make a decision that's so dangerous that it puts the CCP's position in danger, which is what a war with Taiwan could do. So to the extent that people in Zhongnanhai can tell themselves a story that time is on their side, I don't think that they feel a need to take a big risk with the very important caveat that if there is a sense that Taiwan is moving in the wrong direction, especially because of actions that the United States take, that they will uh, demonstrate uh, their unhappiness, including in very dangerous ways. You just uh, uh, said a little bit of jargon there. For those people here who don't necessarily know what Zhongnanhai means, in, in the British equivalent would be kind of like Whitehall or or number 10, it's sort of an amalgam of both. Would you say that the equivalent in America is on the hill or would you say in the administration? Which one do you think is more relevant? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the politics in the United States and China are so different. 
uh, it would hard, be hard for me to think about just exactly what the equivalent of Zhongnan High is uh, in the sense that uh, in China, when they talk about the advantages of their system, they say that one of the reasons they're allegedly uh, more effective than the United States is they don't have three governments, which, of course, they mean the three branches of power. So I'd have to think about that. Yeah, well, and in fact, one of the things that we've been sort of thinking very hard about on this podcast and, and the Associated Newsletter over the years is is how to translate purely Chinese concepts into into Western speak, and you know, and the concept of president in America and the French, etc., uh, perspective that doesn't sit easily on on what Xi Jinping naturally is. But I was having a little debate on Twitter the other day with the China Watcher, and he was we were talking about the fact that there is no real option but to use the word president for Xi Jinping, at least in our opinion, because it's very hard to translate his exact title into something meaningful to Western audience. But you know, one of the things that we're talking about now with, with the Party Congress is trying to work out what the Party Congress does mean. And it's very difficult when the power structures that create it are so different to those in the West. And also a lot of the things that happen in it. And the question on many people's tongues as we're preparing for this, lots of people are asking us to ask you, which is, what on earth happened to who? <laughs> right. So you're, of course, referring to this rather dramatic scene from the Party Congress where Hu Jintao, who is, of course, Xi Jinping's predecessor, was ushered off the stage. And it has been interpreted by many on Twitter as a rather ostentatious perch. I have a few things to say about that. The first is that outsiders have a terrible track record correctly interpreting events like this and that the 99% of my answer as people understand it should be that nobody knows and I don't know. But I'm a little bit skeptical of the purge reason for several reasons. And when I come at something like this, I can look at what's publicly available and I can ask what makes sense, right? And in terms of what makes sense, Hu Jintao is someone who grew up in a party. And you talked about differences you know, between how people think about politics in China and outside of China. One thing that's hard, I think, for people to understand is the extent to which people put the party's interests first. And even when you disagree with the party, the party still is something to which you have dedicated your life. And almost always it's inconceivable that you would contradict the top leader, especially in a moment where all of the choreography is intended to demonstrate stability. So the idea that Hu Jintao was going to cause trouble would challenge my understanding of him as a person and how this type of system has tended to work. Because Hu Jintao would know that even if he did try to do something to challenge what Xi Jinping was doing, uh, it would only make things worse, right? But also, I don't see... Uh, as much of a difference between Xi Jinping and Hu Jintao as other people do, which suggests that Xi Jinping wouldn't feel this need to purge him in such a dramatic way. So Xi Jinping has certainly been described by many people as, as rejecting what Hu Jintao's tenure represented. I think that's an overstatement for lots of reasons. Uh, most importantly, that Xi Jinping's own legitimation narrative isn't that he's rejecting reform and opening, uh, and the policies of his predecessors. It's that he's saving them by being tougher, by bringing new discipline to the party and instituting this system where there's a core that very clearly get things done. And Hu Jintao really kind of helped Xi Jinping in the sense that in 2012, during that succession, he didn't stick around and, and he allowed Xi Jinping uh, to come to power. And uh, there was a relatively uh, stable succession. 
So for these reasons, all we can say is, uh, I don't know, but uh, I think that perhaps, at least for me, a likely explanation is that he wasn't feeling well. See, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think that the body language of the delegates um, with him, I should say, was not that of people that were concerned for his health. And I think that given the closeness of some of them to who, for example, Li Keqiang, the premier, and the fact that Wang Huning uh, was very keen to make sure there wasn't a scene uh, by pulling his colleague back. I, I, I don't know. I just, it just didn't read like that to me. For me, I personally think it's more likely that this was something that was done on purpose, but uh, not necessarily to humiliate him as an individual, but perhaps given the replacements on the standing committee and the obvious sort of aggregation of power around Xi, I think that there is perhaps the chance that it was done as a stunt to really reinforce Xi's control of the party, and especially since it was done in view of the cameras. I just find it hard to believe that an old man who is known for a while he's frail would be ushered off in, in such a, I hesitate to use the word brutal, but overt manner. But maybe, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe it was just it. He was taken ill and needed to be gotten out of there. And the point is, we'll probably never know. And that's another another thing about the CCP and the, and the Congress is that so much of it is opaque. But it, just going back to things that we can sort of understand a bit more, what's your reading on from the Congress on the future direction of China internally? Are we looking at a continuation of the last few years? Or is there anything in there which looks at a radical domestic agenda to come? Well, as I was saying earlier, I think that the Xi Jinping that we have now is the same Xi Jinping that we have had over the last several years. And what we see in the political report are multiple different goals, right? One of the things that I have been struck by on Twitter is that people have sort of essentialized Xi Jinping as a particular type of person, saying that he only cares about national security, he's rejected reform and opening. And certainly I think that there has been a shift in priorities and that Xi Jinping worries about the externalities that reform and opening have created for Chinese stability and is explicit about them. But I don't think that he doesn't care about economic growth at all either. In fact, uh, when you look at the remarks that he made when he introduced the new lineup, he said that Chinese development cannot leave the world. Uh, the world's development needs China. The great gate of China's openness will only open wider and wider. So this, I think, hints at a signal that as much as he puts security in the number one priority, he's still going to care about certain things that he and his predecessors have cared about as well. Ultimately, I think he's a politician and that he is going to maneuver among uh, multiple different goals at once. So, of course, we saw uh, common prosperity mentioned in the political report, and we saw certain intellectuals uh, during the time of the Congress talk about what that might mean, especially in terms of uh, capital gains tax, uh, real estate tax. Uh, the political report also discussed uh, the regulation of the accumulation of wealth. Uh, and my assumption is that these are real goals of the leadership. And, and the big question will be, whether they will be pursued in a way that is more or less destabilizing and whether or not those changes will be done through a process of um, quiet and deliberate thought. And some people have suggested that because Xi Jinping is surrounded by yes men, and I'm saying men deliberately because there aren't any women even in the Politburo, which is also a change, that that deliberation won't happen because everyone will be so 
eager to please Xi Jinping. The new premier has never had uh, a national level portfolio, which has also raised questions about his, his experience. But uh, and, and Li Chang has sort of been described as a person who can still get promoted, even though, though they're incompetent because of his association with zero COVID uh, in Shanghai. So the question becomes is, why would Xi Jinping you know, hire someone like that? Well, one possibility is that he actually is impressed with Li Chang's capabilities. And other than zero COVID, my own understanding is that many Western business people and Chinese business people actually quite liked him and thought that he was attentive to their interests. And it may also be the case that because Xi Jinping trusts Li Chang so much that Li Chang is willing to raise his mind when he thinks that Xi Jinping needs to know something. And of course, he would pick his battle, certainly, and would, would never openly contest Xi Jinping. But these are things that we just don't know and we'll have to watch as, uh, as time goes on. Yeah, you raise a good point about Li Chang. We don't know much about him. And that's, I think it's been said a few times uh, on this podcast, it's, it's hard to look at exactly what's going to happen domestically when we don't really know much about these people to begin with over the next five years. And also many of the policy announcements that have happened that have really changed China's history and uh, Xi Jinping have not happened at Congress, but have happened in the years subsequent to those. So you're right on that, I suppose. The thing that investors and, and policymakers that listen to this show and, and, and the others who listen just of interest would perhaps find useful to know, in your opinion, is to what degree does the rest of the elite feel that this is a good thing? I mean, is it ever possible for us to know that? Or do we just have to assume that we won't know the degree to which the Chinese elite has welcomed this or, or not? So looking to history, which is what I do professionally, it's striking the extent to which most of the time policy differences among the leadership don't tend to be fundamental, but even more importantly, they don't tend to have the habit of either sparking elite power struggles or the content of those differences resolving a particular power struggle. So even if people did disagree with Xi Jinping, I don't think that they likely would be able to do very much about it. And I think that this has to do with the very nature of the Leninist system, which was created to be an organizational weapon. And the idea is that this is not a party where people come together to work together out of free will, to deliberate openly and then uh, act in concert. It's You have a democratic centralism, which is supervised by a core leader, and he is able to identify problems and resolve them without having to worry about whether or not he is well-liked. So in that sense, we can only kind of look to history, but also I think that it's at least likely that many people agree with his idea that you cannot have economic development if you don't have security, that the United States sees in China an inherent threat because China is a communist country and cannot accept the rise of a, another superpower that subscribes to a, a different ideology. It's possible that many people are worried about the kind of instability that would occur if they move away from zero COVID. Uh, so just to summarize, first of all, we don't know. And second, it probably wouldn't matter to the extent that there are um, people who disagree with Xi Jinping. Fair point. Foreign policy, anything you've seen in the uh, in the Congress announcements to indicate a shift in foreign policy? I think that after the Congress, Xi Jinping will certainly have more bandwidth to think about foreign policy. The most striking change in the context of broad continuity, but it is a difference. There is a 
formulation of the nature of the international environment. And for your listeners who don't follow Chinese politics too closely, this is sort of a very high level uh, ideological estimation of just how dangerous the world is at a particular time. And of course, Deng Xiaoping, after a very gradual several year process after the Cultural Revolution, decided that China was in the period of strategic opportunity, which meant that they didn't need to put too many resources into the military and that they could open themselves up economically and, and focus on development because war wasn't inevitable or coming anytime soon. And this political report says that opportunities and challenges are both present. So it raises this sense of, of crisis to a new level. And certainly there is a legitimation narrative part going on here to say that we need a tough helmsman like Xi Jinping precisely because the world is changing. Uh, and of course it has been. I think that China was very attentive to how the United States was responding to the brutal Russian invasion of Ukraine. But ultimately we'll probably continue to see this wolf warrior diplomacy periods of tension followed by periods where China will see whether or not they can improve relations uh, to their advantage. And the final thing I'll say is it's striking that on the list of objectives as identified by the 20th Party Congress report, the seventh out of seven tasks is further increasing China's international standing and influence. So they will still have a lot to worry about at home, even though I'm sure that they will continue to become more ambitious uh, on the international arena as well. Okay. So um, any other points that you think that our listeners should be interested in slash worried about slash optimistic about in terms of the outcomes from this Congress? Well, one interesting thing to keep in mind is that even rumors or wrong assessments about the Congress uh, can very uh, often have real implications, right? Well, of course, we don't know what happened with Hu Jintao, but we certainly have an interpretation of what happened to Hu Jintao, uh, and that is shifting how people think about China. But also, we've seen that the conclusion of at least the business community, looking at this Congress, including the new lineup, have concluded that it's not going to be business friendly, right? So I think that's a, another thing to keep in mind is uh, even if certain things are not clear, for some people, they are, and it has real-world implications as well. Well, we'll be back very soon with an interview with uh, the economist George Magnus to talk about the financial and economic implications of the Congress. Stuart will be back for that. So hold fire for that one. But in terms of, in terms of your overall view of the Congress and its impact on the world, what do you think? Are we still too early to, to tell, or do you think that it has really shifted the political geography for the next five years? In some ways, I don't think the Congress matters a lot because even before Xi Jinping's uh, big coronation at the 20th Party Congress, uh, he had been powerful for many years and he had been signaling what he wants for many years. So if he's more powerful after this Congress, I'm not quite sure how much that more matters. One thing that I think is significant is, as we saw over 2022, people were wondering whether or not there was any difference between the policies of Xi Jinping, the top leader, and Li Keqiang, the premier. And now that this new premier, Li Chang, is unambiguously seen as an acolyte of Xi Jinping, I think it's less likely that people uh, will come to that kind of conclusion. 
So the likelihood of people teasing out differences among the elite, thinking that Xi Jinping is vulnerable, as many people did before 2022, that kind of narrative probably will become less common. As I said, Xi Jinping will have more bandwidth for other issues. But then finally, the biggest question is whether or not Xi Jinping himself will change. Mao changed quite dramatically over the yeah. many years that he was in power. And part of that was because he was so dominant for so long. Xi Jinping has made mistakes, but he certainly hasn't made any mistakes as big as the ones that Mao had in the form of the Great Leap Forward Cultural Revolution. And he hasn't made decisions quite as destabilizing as many of the ones that Deng Xiaoping did either. So we'll have to see uh, what the future holds. Well, thanks very much, Joseph. We will get you back on for sure to talk about your book, because I think there's a lot of people going to have interest in the uh, in the jostling for elite power within China and particularly Russia now, looking at what's happening in Ukraine and its relationship with the West. But uh, in the meantime, thanks so much for your analysis on the Congress. And uh, we'll be back with more What China Wants very soon. Thanks. Goodbye. Thank you. I very much enjoyed the conversation.